I think the spagyric medicines, similarly to entheogenic or psychotropic plants, can lend that just insight into ourselves. And I think that's why a lot of people tend to turn to them is they want to understand themselves on a deeper level. They want to find their path and purpose. They want to heal their past and their trauma so they can live a good life, be a good person and do what they feel like they're meant to do here on this earth. So in that way, I always describe spagyrics as evolutionary medicines. They serve in the soul's evolutionary process of really just becoming who we're meant to be. Welcome to Pacific Rim College Radio, a podcast sharing stories and wisdom from experts in the fields of holistic wellness and sustainable living. I am your host, Todd Howard, as the show's guests demonstrate. By doing small acts to embrace more mindful living, we can positively impact our communities. Sage Popham is a renowned herbalist, educator, and author committed to the balance of the science and spirituality of plant medicine. As the founder of the School of Evolutionary Herbalism, he trains herbalists in a holistic system of plant medicine that encompasses clinical Western herbalism, medical astrology, Ayurveda, and spagyric alchemy. Spagyric alchemy might not be something you are familiar with, and so we go to some depth exploring what this field of herbalism is and how it is applicable in modern practice. From his laboratory on a homestead in the foothills of Mount Baker, Washington, Sage and his wife Whitney combine philosophies of astrology, alchemy, spirituality, and modern science to create unique and powerful spagyric plant medicines. Sage and I geek out on many things herbal and healing, including the value of symptoms, the power of the patient in the healing process, astrology, archetypes, and vitalism. Sage focuses on using plants to heal and rejuvenate the body, clarify the mind, open the heart, and support the development of the soul. His teachings embody a heartfelt respect, honor, and reverence for the vast intelligence of plants in a way that empowers us to look deeper into the nature of our medicines and ourselves. Please enjoy this episode of Pacific Rim College Radio with Seja Popham. Seja, welcome to Pacific Rim College Radio. Hey, thanks so much for having me. It's really great to have you here. It's been a long time in the making, so thanks for carving out some time so we could sit down today. Yeah, absolutely. So I haven't met you formally. This is kind of our first introduction, although you have taught at Pacific Rim College. I don't think we've ever crossed paths. You uh, certainly are well-known in the herbal world and well-respected, and really excited to see what we can uncover today about your journey. What have you been up to most lately? Well, we've been currently uh, kind of updating our laboratory, actually. We've been, my wife and I um, have been making spagyric extracts of medicinal plants for a long time, and we've been kind of have a small little business where we wholesale them to naturopaths, and we just built out a new facility. So I've been getting all, kind of getting the, the lab set up, getting some new toys in there, getting everything kind of dialed into another level, uh, which has been really exciting and a long time come in. And um, we also have um, an online educational platform called the School of Evolutionary Herbalism. And, and I've got some, a lot of courses in there. And some of them are, are kind of some older material uh, from back in the day. And uh, some of it's feeling a little outdated. So I've actually been doing a lot of research and kind of going through a lot of old curriculum and updating it and getting ready to reshoot um, some of these online courses. And you know, for me, it's just kind of continually trying to 
find ways to improve what we do and to try to help people and, you know, just be of greater service to the herbal medicine community in, in whatever way that we can. Well, that's a lot on your plate and very exciting things. Let's start with one of them. Let's go with spagyric medicine. What is that? Yeah. Yeah. So spagyric uh, medicine is a, so spagyrics is a branch of the Western alchemical tradition that involves uh, specific methods of preparing uh, herbal medicines according to alchemical methods. So this was a practice that was developed by the Swiss-born physician and alchemist and astrologer Paracelsus. Um, he kind of invented the word spagyrics. It, it ultimately is a uh, rooted in two different Greek terms, speo and agiero, which loosely translates to to separate and recombine or to separate and to reawaken. And the spagyric process is, you know, it's, it's a system of herbal pharmacy, but really it's a whole system of herbal medicine as a whole, the way I see it, that involves therapeutics, it involves specific methods of assessment and working with people and using the, the plants in a way that is not just attending to, you know, our symptoms or the problems that we have in our body, but really the alchemical path is about kind of our development, our spiritual growth and, and evolution as a human being. And so spagyric herbal medicines kind of have some unique effects that are a little bit, uh, they go a little bit deeper than a lot of standard forms of herbal medicine. And um, their, their influence is, is really profound and powerful in the way that it heals trauma and helps us overcome, you know, those things that we carry in our lives that just block us. So I think we all have struggles that we go through in our, in our hearts. We all have things that have hurt us in our lives and maybe had you know, negative impacts or maybe ways of thinking, patterns of thinking or emotions that we struggle with. And oftentimes those things can kind of trickle down and affect our physical health too. And, and so the spagyrics are really geared towards addressing the physical side, but also addressing those more subtle sides to the mental, the emotional, the spiritual sides of disease, because they say that the, the spagyric preparation holds the whole plant and therefore it heals the whole person. And when I say the whole plant, I'm not really talking about, you know, the root and the leaf and the flower and the seed, but rather when we are preparing a spagyric that nothing is thrown away, you know, in a lot of standard preps, we, you know, compost the herb when we're done making our tincture or tea or whatever. And uh, in the spagyric process, nothing goes to waste. We, we are really using the whole plant. So oftentimes the way that's seen is in, in the alchemical tradition, they say everything is uh, composed of what are called the three philosophical principles or tria prima, which are referred to as sulfur, mercury, and salt. And that equates to the soul, the spirit, and the body of any living thing, be it a plant, a human, an animal, a mineral, a metal, everything in alchemy in nature, you know, is said to have consciousness, intelligence, and form. And so in the spagyric process, we are 
separating, right, speo, the soul, the spirit, and the body, the sulfur, mercury, and salt from the plant, um, which physically manifests as the essential oils, the alcohol, and the alkaline mineral salts. And so these three principles are separated, purified, and then recombined back together into what is generally considered a very holistic form of herbal medicine. And as I said, because the whole plant is there, soul, spirit, and body, it affects soul, spirit, and body of the person who takes it. Oh, that's so cool. Is then spagyric herbal medicine more of an active participation for the person taking the medicine? Does it give someone the opportunity for self-inquiry or is it still, or, or is it more passive? The, the plant does the work it needs to do regardless of the person's consciousness. It's a really good question. I mean, I think what I've found is that it, it really works both ways, but certainly in my approach, I really like to encourage people to, I always say, meet your medicine halfway. You know, it's like we, we get to a certain place in our lives and our health because really of the decisions that we make, right? What we put into our body every day, how we emotionally respond to situations, what types of thoughts we allow to perpetuate within our minds. And, you know, it's to, to just, you know, take an herb, but continue doing what we're doing. It's like, it's only going to go so far. And so oftentimes when I'm working with people, there is a lot of kind of coaching involved, you know, of like really trying to support people in making positive changes in their lifestyle that are going to be more conducive to a, a healthier, more vital state of being. And oftentimes that involves, you know, you know, simple lifestyle changes, dietary and nutritional recommendations, um, attending to, you know, the standard basic things we all know we need to do to be healthy, right? Like we need to eat right. We probably need to exercise a little more. We need to make sure we're getting a decent amount of night's sleep, you know? Um, so those are obviously central to it, but, you know, it's also, you know, becoming more aware of those ways of thinking and ways of feeling, uh, those patterns that we carry that, that could be contributing to the challenges that we face in our health. So, so yeah, helping people cultivate a new level of self-awareness, because I think a lot of reaching a new level of health within our life involves reaching a new level of self-mastery, of understanding ourselves and the way that um, the world around us affects us, the way our own nature is, the way foods affect us, the way the seasons and the weather affect us, and then how we can consciously adjust the way we live every day to, you know, maintain some semblance of balance and harmony with it. Uh, obviously, you know, it's like, I, I think, you know, and I, I you certainly used to feel this way where it's like, oh, balance. It's like, there's this top of the mountain. And, you know, once I get in that perfect balance, like, I'm just going to be, I've made it, you know? And it's like, well, yeah, maybe you find that perfect balance and then a, a wind blows <laughs> and then you're out of balance again, you know? And so it's this constant, and I think that's a lot of, you know, what we learn a lot from Eastern systems of medicine too, Ayurveda and Chinese medicine. So much of it is about seeing how nature is constantly affecting us and how we can, you know, do our best to take action to maintain balance with it. 
Yeah, absolutely. So what does that coaching aspect then look like and how deep do you go with it? And is it only if a if one of your clients is willing or is it something that is, if you're going to work with me, we're going to do this? Yeah, that's a, another really good, great question. I think for me, it's like, I there's this balance I've noticed in working with people where certainly it's important to meet someone where they're at and where they are comfortable and you know, able and willing to go how far they want to go. Um, but there's also an edge where sometimes you got to kind of like nudge people, you know, where if they're like, you know, really resisting something, it's like, well, there's a reason for that. And we need to look into that. And so I've found that there's a time where like, I have to kind of pull back and meet someone with where they're at. And and oftentimes for compliance sake, you know, um, early on in working with people for me, my biggest mistake was I gave people too much, you know, it was like, okay, I want you to do this and that and that and that and that. And I had this huge list and they got super overwhelmed and they didn't do any of it. And I think that's a pretty big mistake a lot of beginning practitioners make. And I think over time, it we learn that it's sometimes the small, little, simple things, the quick win, the little shift that they make, that then they start to feel better. And now they have more vitality. And now they're like, oh, well, if that worked, what else do you got, you know? And so I've really learned to kind of slow it down um, sometimes with people and just meet them with where they're at. <clears throat> but certainly there are times where, you know, especially if I've been working with someone for some time, and maybe they've been resisting doing an elimination diet or something like that. And sometimes we gotta get real and just like, hey, like we're not gonna be able to really move forward with this. Like we've gotten as far as we can go. Like I need to nudge you a little bit here and like push your comfort zone a little bit so that you can get well and get better and acquire a new level of self-mastery as challenging and as uncomfortable as it might be. Um, sometimes that real conversation needs to come in and oftentimes people appreciate that. And it's not, you know, I'm not like getting after people or being mean or rude or anything like that. It's a, it's a compassionate conversation, but it's also an encouragement. And I think people need that. I think people need encouragement. People need upliftment, especially these days, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yes, definitely these days. So there's a lot of similarity or resonance I'm hearing with psychoactive plant medicine or psychedelics as there's also a great portion of self-inquiry and an opportunity for that in that and those certainly are more of an active type of plant medicine. Is there any overlap or similarity with spagyrics? Um, well I would yeah it's interesting actually my teacher in alchemy and spagyrics a man named Robert Bartlett he always kind of uses the analogy of like, <clears throat> you know, he's a pretty old school guy. So he's like, you know, it's like when you're talking about, you know, your spiritual growth and evolution, he's like, you can take something like LSD, you know, and, and go from baseline to boom, way up at the top of the mountain and then boom. And then you're right back down in the valley, like quick, you know, up and down. But he said, you know, with the path of alchemy, it's slower, it's more gradual and you steadily climb up that same pathway right i mean it's to me like visionary plants and psychoactive plants are 
incredibly powerful medicines, right? And I think that is an important distinction. It's very common for people to use the word drugs, you know? And I, I always kind of cringe when people say that because I'm like, no, this is not a, these aren't drugs. These are medicines. They are, they're not something for recreational use or to get high or anything like that. These are healing plants that have rich culture, rich tradition, um, a very uh, powerful uh, methodology behind how they're used in specific ways in order to bring healing and to bring uh, insight and clarity. And I think, you know, I think in our modern world, oftentimes they're kind of perceived as these like, oh, it's like a way to, you know, go explore the universe and other dimensions and meet the spirits. And, and I think that's all okay. But I think oftentimes there's an, uh, there can be an overlooked attribute of them in that, you know, traditionally, these were medicines to heal really sick people, like physically sick people, uh, you know, incurable type diseases, you know, I mean, some people, you know, have cured cancer with these forms of medicine. And, and so I think it's, it's important that the, the healing attribute of them is always remembered. And to me, the, um, the alchemical medicines certainly don't, you know, it's not like you're gonna, um, have uh, necessarily like a psychoactive or visionary experience with them, but they do work in very interesting ways where if you're paying attention, you will notice that they are working spiritually in that, you know, one of the, so I'll kind of try to illustrate it a little bit. So one of the ways that spagyric medicines are, you know, classified and understood and prepared is based on their astrological correspondences. And so one of the, the ways that they're come that I've come to understand them is that when you're working with a spagyric of say an, a remedy like wild rose, okay, well wild rose is classically attributed to the the archetype of Venus, and Venus has everything to do with you know our relationships and how we relate to the other and love and intimacy and kind of like our emotional and spiritual heart. And it has a lot to do with kind of our relationships and on the dark side of Venus or the healing side of Venus, like the, the challenges that we face in relationships. And I think this is kind of a universal human experience that we all have challenges in relationships, whether intimate, family, whatever. So when you start working with a wild rose spagyric that's been prepared under the archetypal influence of Venus, it's like within your, you know, the traditional terminology of it is the astral body. Your astral body is becoming attuned to kind of the pattern of Venus. You're, you're kind of vibrating at the resonant frequency of that astral force and that archetype starts to enter into your life and so you start to notice this in your dreams in synchronicities all of a sudden you know maybe your ex-partner that you ended on a bad note with reaches out to you or bump into them at the grocery store or you your heart start it's like you're it brings up all the stuff in your life that needs to be dealt with in order for you to embody and integrate the most virtuous expression of that archetype. And this is what alchemy is really all about, is that you're progressively working through these 
planetary archetypes that we all have within us. Some we are really well integrated with and express very virtuously. Others we're more challenged with. And oftentimes this can all kind of be figured out through assessment of <clears throat> the astrological chart. And so, you know, the goal is that we're gradually going through these archetypes. We're purifying them. We're, we're learning from them. We're healing the, the traumas and the challenges and the ways that we maybe express those archetypes in, you know, their <clears throat> sometimes darker attributes or, and transforming that into their more positive attributes. And so in that way, you know, I think the, the spagyric medicines, similarly to, um, you know, entheogenic or psychotropic plants can lend that just insight into ourselves. And I think that's what, why a lot of people tend to turn to them is they want to understand themselves on a deeper level. They want to find their path and purpose. They want to heal their, their past and their trauma. They want to move beyond the things that feel like they're limiting them or blocking them in their life so they can live, live a good life, you know, be a good person and, and do what they feel like they're, they're meant to do here on this earth. <clears throat> so in that way, I always describe spagyrics as you know, they're like, they're evolutionary medicines. They serve in the soul's evolutionary process of really just becoming who we're meant to be. So very cool. I had the great fortune of befriending and interviewing Lori Eve Deschar, who is a well-known alchemical acupuncturist. Hmm. And we've had some great conversations about alchemy. In the case of herbal alchemy, our, in the, this will kind of show my limited understanding of, of alchemy in general, but with your clients, are you looking for the prima materia, like the, the core to treat with spagyrics, or are you treating symptoms as well? Well, <clears throat> it really depends on where they're at. You know, I was always taught, you know, from like a clinical herbalism perspective, you know, kind of work with what's right in front of you. You know, if someone, if someone comes to me and their primary complaint is, uh, a cough or a cold or a UTI or something like that. I'm not going to be like, well, let's talk about your family history and your, or, you know, or like your traumas or things like that. It's like, no, they've got a cold right in front of them. Like, I'm going to work with that. Um, and, and so it really depends on where someone is at and um, addressing, you know, making sure to address their, their primary complaints, like what the main things are that they're wanting to attend to. Um, but then typically as the process goes deeper, um, yeah, there is a, 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 a kind of looking for those core things, as you said, in their life. Like what are the, you know, oftentimes from the alchemical perspective, what we're really looking for is what, what are the core thematic elements that seem to play out in this person's life? that shows a disharmony with one of these archetypal forces. You know, if someone throughout their whole life is just really angry and pissed off and they've got a bunch of inflammation and heat in their body and, you know, maybe they're autoimmune or maybe their, you know, adrenals are imbalanced or maybe they've got, you know, a lot of heat and inflammation in their body. Um, maybe they're really aggressive and just pissed off all the time. You know, it's like that's going to show like there's an imbalance in Mars. And so that's like, so then we're going to kind of work towards 
addressing that archetype and helping that using the plants as a means to kind of retrain their being to uh, take that same energy but harness it in a in a more positive healthier way okay so i think we're gonna have to dig into the archetypes a bit because i know not everyone's going to be entirely familiar with them. When you're speaking of archetypes so far, I've heard you speaking more of kind of astrology related mm -hmm. archetypes. Are you also working with archetypes of the victim, the enabler, uh, the warrior, et cetera? Yeah. Does well, those all, and those all fit into the astrological pattern, right? I mean, that's kind of the beauty of astrology is that it's pretty all encompassing, right? That the, that the core thematic elements that, we as human beings experience are held within the pattern of <clears throat> the planets, the signs, how they all relate with one another. So traditionally, uh, the planets are kind of the core themes that are worked with in alchemy. Um, but going into a little bit more of the medical astrology side and there's kind of different layers of it you know like different people some people do it very simply and they just work with the planets some people will take it a little further and go deeper into you know like medical astrology and really digging into the patterns of the signs and the chart assessment and all the aspects and transits and working with the herbs to to attend to any imbalances that are shown there <clears throat> um, but yeah generally speaking the signs and the planets are what are kind of more traditionally worked with so that's obviously a huge, huge. Yeah. <laughs> a galactic topic yeah. that we could try <laughs> to talk about I, and I, I just know we don't have the time for that right Rather now for but sure. <laughs> yeah with your clients, if they are not versed in astrology and in this type of lexicon of astrology, do you bring that into the conversation at all? Or do you find a way to weave in terminology that they're going to be more familiar to and, and speak about it in different ways? And I'm, I'm going with the assumption that this is a client that you are working a bit on the coaching side of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, again, it really <clears throat> depends on the person, you know, some people are super interested in that and curious about it, you know, oftentimes clients that I work with are also students of mine, so it's also kind of an opportunity for teaching and for them to understand just the teachings and the process in a little bit more detail, but there's also people that if they, if I told them I was using medical astrology or something, they'd run for the door you know, because maybe that's not their belief system, or maybe it's too woo-woo for them, or, you know, <laughs> so, so for, I mean, a lot of the time, it's kind of be more behind the scenes, you know, I'm just using it as my kind of reference point and way of navigating the, the case and the person and trying to decipher, like, what's going on here, right, I mean, and I think that's the biggest thing with practitioners, right, is we're kind of, we're, trying to find the clues, follow the, the signs, uh, figure out like what's going on here and what do I do about it? And, and that there's a lot of different tools we use for that intake and interviews, the key one, obviously, but you know, pulse evaluation, tongue assessment, facial analysis. Some people use iridology, 
um, medical astrology is just another one. Um, and I, you know, use a number of those in conjunction with the medical astrology. It's not like I just pull up a chart and work with the person from there. Like I do a really long, full in-depth intake and assessment. Um, obviously these days seeing people in person is a little weird. So pulse is kind of out of the equation these days. And yeah, we can look at the tongue through a zoom call, but sometimes the lighting makes it a little tough. Um, but yeah, to me, the herbalist really needs to have a lot of different assessment tools at their disposal um, to, to decipher what's going on here so we can know what the best course of treatment is going to be. I'm hoping some potential clients are listening, uh, potential herbal clients of, of any herbalist or really anyone who's looking at healing, not just the quick fix with, with a drug that will take care of a symptom. How important to you do you feel the active participation in the self-inquiry is in the alchemical and the herbal process? For the client? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think it's important, you know, I do, you know, because to me, you know, I mean, I guess I really consider myself a vitalist at heart, you know, and and can you define that? Yeah, well, it's, it's, you know, look, understanding that the that within the, the human organism that we have this vital force, this vital intelligence of nature, that, um, that is trying to inform us. And oftentimes, when something's off, it's trying to inform us something is off through symptoms. And so rather than, you know, in modern, more allopathic medicine, whether you're using drugs or herbs, um, we just aim to take the symptom away, right? Rather than asking the bigger question, why is the symptom here? And so for me, herbs are not just, it's not just the herbs. It really is, you know, even if, you know, for example, if someone's, if someone's having like a lot of muscle tension and spasm and constriction, it doesn't matter how many antispasmodics and nervine hypnotics I give them if they've got a magnesium deficiency. And so to me, the, 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 the nutritional attributes, the food is key. Um, the lifestyle is key. You know, if someone comes and says they're tired, I'm not just going to hand them a bottle of adaptogens. You know, we're going to go a little deeper. Well, okay. You've been sleeping four hours a night for the last 10 years. Like, of course you're tired, you know, I'm not going to give you adaptogens. That's going to make it worse, you know? So, um, so to me, like when I say the vitalist, it's like, we're really looking at the symptom as a language, as a communication from the body. And it's not the enemy, you know, symptoms aren't the enemy. Symptoms are just, like I said, they're just a communication. It's a language that we need to listen to and follow and obviously symptoms suck because we don't feel good with them and we want the symptoms to go away, but we don't want to mask the symptom or suppress the symptom. We want to get to the root cause of the symptom. And that really is what the goal of, of a vitalist practitioner is from my perspective is really working with the body, not against the body, working to cut it, things at the root and, and, and um, understanding too, that we all have our unique disposition. We all have our unique constitution. Sometimes, you know, three different people can have the same symptom, but a very different underlying, you know, energetic imbalance behind it. And when I say energetic, I'm really speaking 
more to kind of the traditional medical understanding of energetics in terms of the temperature of the, the tissues, the moisture quality, the tonal quality. A great example of that is just constipation. I always use that as a good example. You know, different people can be constipated for very different reasons. You look up herbs for constipation in an herb book and you'll see all kinds of different remedies there. Um, some of which might be very contraindicated in a specific type of constipation. One person might have constipation because they've got cold digestion. They just got a lack of, you know, stimulation, lack of blood flow, lack of secretions. Everything's just kind of depressed and not, not working up to speed. Another person might have constipation because the mucosal membrane in the gut's really dry and everything's just dried out and um, not lubricated. So nothing's moving. Another person might have constipation because you know, maybe they're really tense, right? And they're spasmodic and everything's kind of constricted down. Like there's a kink in the hose and so things aren't flowing. You're gonna treat those three different cases of constipation very, very differently. Um, you know, marshmallow is gonna be really great for the person with the dry, atrophic kind of bowel. But if you give that to someone that's really cold and damp in their GI, it's going to aggravate it. And so this is another critical approach of, you know, a vitalist orientation is we don't just give the herb for the symptom. We, we look at what's the underlying uh, tissue state or constitutional pattern behind that symptom and making sure that the, the remedies that we give will be addressing the, that e, uh, tissue ecology, um, which I think is so beautiful, right? It's like, we're looking at the body, not as a machine or a gear. We're looking at the body as a living ecosystem, as a, as a microcosm of the earth and plants grow in ecosystems. Plants are embodiments of their ecosystem. So naturally when we ingest them, they alter and adjust the ecosystem of the body as well. Great answer. Very thorough, love it. So there's so many things that I wanna go into and for the sake of time, I'm, I'm gonna to have to cut some of these topics short, but uh, yeah. We can always do a part two if you want. <laughs> Perfect, I was just gonna ask that. Maybe we can do a part two, it's they're so interesting. Let's go back to something you said earlier, spagyrics were developed by, or, or at least the phrase was coined by Paracelsus. Does that, then mean that most of the traditional spagyric remedies are more European-based herbal remedies, or did it does it did it end up spanning the globe from Asian to like far far East Asian Chinese to Indian Ayurvedic to Central South American? How walk me through that or explain that a bit? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, and I. It's kind of a tricky question, you know, in a way, because there, you know, the way I was taught was that, you know, spagyric alchemy in and of itself was really much more of a European focused kind of approach. It really, I mean, that's, you know, Paracelsus was from Switzerland. Um, you know, he taught and traveled all throughout Europe. And um, that really is where that specific kind of orientation of alchemy was developed and very much refined. Of course, alchemy in and of itself goes back much further than that. Um, you know, the way that I was taught and, you know, different people 
have you know <laughs> said it's wrong or incorrect or whatever other people agree uh, you know there seems to be differing thoughts and opinions and maybe it's hard to know because it's ancient history right but you know, <laughs> the way i was taught is that it was ultimately derived from egypt and um where you know the the root of alchemy alchemy you know uh chemi was like said to be the um the royal art the sacred science and um al was a prefix that was added to that royal art as it moved into the middle east um so alchemy um or alchemia and so it was developed also further in the middle east you know avicenna was a big proponent of alchemy and developed the system quite a bit um but it was said you know during the period of the library of alexandria that this was a a time when there was a lot of people traveling um there to study right i mean the library of alexandria was like the biggest library and collection of ancient knowledge in, in the entire world so it was said that people traveled all the way from India, all the way from China, all the way from the Far East to study. And so it's said that, you know, there was a, a lot of intermingling of this alchemical knowledge there. And when we look at Ayurvedic preparations, there's a lot of similarities. I mean, especially when we get into, you know, we've been talking more, more about spagyrics and plant-based alchemy, but when we get into metallic alchemy, um, the processes are almost exactly the same in some respects. So the, in Ayurveda, this is the path called Rasa Shastra, which is the metallic medicine preparations. Rasa is a term that has a lot of meanings in, in uh, Sanskrit, uh, refers to the taste of things. And when we're talking about the rasa of a plant, we're talking about its taste, it also means the juice, but it's also their term for mercury. And so we see that the, the metal mercury holds a very high place in Western alchemy and Vedic alchemy. And certainly Chinese medicine, we see a lot of similarities, <clears throat> plants being burned down to ash and that ash being utilized in different ways. Um, so certainly there's, there's a lot of overlap here between you know, the, the, what is generally referred to as hermetic alchemy or kind of the more, more Eurocentric orientation, the Vedic alchemy or Ayurveda and the Chinese system. Those are kind of said to be the three main systems that we have access to in our modern world, but ultimately the root um, is Africa. And, um, and I think that's really, really interesting and fascinating and powerful, you know, that, that we have these very profound systems of medicine and pharmacy and, and really a, a kind of a spiritual cosmology and understanding of the world um, through that. Um, as far as kind of moving into the, the Americas, that's where I get a little unclear. Um, I'm not totally sure how you know how prevalent it was in the Americas I mean obviously it came to at some point um because it's here now but um and I'm not sure kind of when that movement was happening I mean it definitely in Europe alchemy has gone through a lot of uh waves in terms of it's really popular and everyone's into it and you know the upper echelons of society are really studying alchemy you know Francis Bacon Isaac Newton these people were all really into alchemy. A lot of the people that made like big scientific discoveries were 
alchemists um, and, uh, <clears throat> and Robert Boyle, um, lots of lots of them were into alchemy. But then there was also times where it was made illegal because there were charlatans and people taking advantage of people, people into it for the wrong reasons. Well, we want to make gold, you know. It's like, of course, uh, you know, all the everyone just wants gold <laughs> so <laughs> we kind of lose sight of like and this is where paracelsus came along as he was like it's not about the gold it's medicine like come on you know and he that's why paracelsus was like a huge huge kind of revolutionary figure in of course medicine but in alchemy because he really kind of reoriented it in the perspective of like hey this is for medicine this is for healing this is not just about making gold um, right yeah <laughs> inner, finding finding the inner gold yes yes yeah every answer you give here leads me like in six different possible directions so you're actually not helping sorry to... <laughs> 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 trying to weave things in tighter and they're just getting broader and broader but that's great well I, I love it we'll come back we'll chat some more about some other things uh, the metal alchemicals that's a very interesting topic and I do recall when I was studying acupuncture in early days of practice in Sri Lanka I had a lot of Ayurvedic experiences mm -hmm. and actually having my mentor have a ball of mercury and just roll it in his hand which of course we would look at that typically in in our culture and be like ah like yeah. no bad 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 but yeah there it was used as medicine and still is yep yep they say the most powerful medicines are the most powerful poisons it's just a matter yes. of dosage and preparation and that's the whole yes. that's the whole premise right transformation transmutation it's like we're looking and homeopathy works on the same principle and homeopathy really you know right you know, Hahnemann basically his whole system was based on paracelsian medicine even though he rejected alchemy but they say you know poison and medicine it's on this spectrum and 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 when you transform a poison prepare it in certain ways it moves to the other side and becomes a, a medicine and i think that's such a beautiful like not metaphor because it's real but it is also real, a metaphor yeah. of what the medicines are doing in us right it's taking the the quote poison the darkness the bad parts of ourself the the trauma and right and it's transforming it in into the good side and the positive side and the good virtuous expression and so i just think it's a it's just such a beautiful take on medicine you know because it's yeah. finding the good and bringing the good out yeah, it is taking that internal lead, that prima materia, and turning it into gold, our right. greatest strengths and opportunities. Mm -hmm. But we have to be conscious to that, and that's why I, I really am such a proponent of the active forms of healing that involve participation and not just, I've got this, whoa, please give me something to take care of it. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's so, what you said earlier, you summed it up beautifully. It's, you can only take someone so far. Yeah. And they're going to have some benefit, but they're going to come right back probably with a similar or very or the exact same complaint at some point in time. Yeah. Change is required. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Unfortunately, <laughs> we don't want to keep doing the same shit, but, but not have the same problems. But it, unfortunately, it doesn't seem like life works that way <laughs> yeah well it's only unfortunate too depending on your 
your level of consciousness and willingness for that change because I think once most people do embark in the route of personal change the opportunities the doors just start opening up yeah and the person who can't walk a flight of stairs without getting fatigued all of a sudden realizes oh wow I can go up three flights of stairs now because I'm actually making changes as you said earlier the dietary changes the the exercise changes not just taking herbs and then mm-hmm. and taking the medicines and using the medicines as the opportunity for greater inner exploration. Mm-hmm. So I want to give you opportunity to talk about some of the cool things that you're doing. So you mentioned you're building out your laboratory. I, that's just sounds like the coolest thing where you're making spagyrics. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I want to hear more about that. What this medicine making process is like mm-hmm. and what you're doing with the medicines is this are they strictly for your clients or is this something where you're creating products for greater distribution yeah um well i answer the latter part of that before i get into the process itself um yeah we, we definitely use them for my clients and then um we do we do sell them um mostly wholesale to to nds you know stocking their dispensaries um, or clinical herbalists and things like that. But you know, whatever, we do have an online store where people buy them, but don't try to go to it. Cause that website's really broken and we're in the process of rebuilding it. So, um, so <laughs> one of the other things you're kind of shut down for a while. Cause we haven't had a, 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 you know, really a proper facility. Um, but, um, yeah, so it's been, uh, so we've been getting some new distilleries and, um, you know, that's kind of one of the main alchemical or spagyric processes is distillation. And so, you know, when we're, and there's many different types of spagyric preparations. So that's important to make sure is understood. But one of the primary preparations that we do is called the essence, the spagyric essence. And the one of the main parts of that process is the distillation of the essential oils of the plant. And, you know, if you take fire to a plant and burn it, um, you know, one of the first things that will volatilize is the essential oils or the volatile oils, right, because they're very lightweight, and um, they rise, they ascend, excuse me, and so So it's said that the, those essential oils are the soul of the plant, the sulfur of the plant. And they're usually very small amounts in most plants that have them. Sometimes surprisingly tiny amounts and very aromatic plants that you would think would yield a lot, like Melissa officinalis, like very, I mean, I'd distill 20, 30, 40 pounds of it and get you know, maybe a milliliter of oil, which is very surprising considering it is such an aromatic plant. Um, Roses obviously are the same way, but others like lavender, rosemary, thyme, oregano, mint, angelica, chamomile, yarrow, all yield very beautiful volatile oils. And so that is oftentimes the first part of that process is the distillation. From there, the, the same plant material that was distilled then goes into a fermentation process. Um, it's basically turned into an herbal wine. And, you know, there, there's a lot of symbolism in the process in and of itself. So that 
distillation of sulfur, you know, it's like the ascension of the plant. It's like the liberation of the soul from the body into the heavens. It becomes invisible vapor and then condenses back down into a material form and is collected. The fermentation is kind of like the descent into the lower world, you know, it's like crossing into the you know, the period of putrefaction and decay and the body's falling apart. And it's kind of the, yeah, the old term putrefaction is used a lot in alchemy where we're liberating the spirit from the body of the plant. And that physically is taking place through the generation of alcohol. And this is where we get the word spirits for alcohol, right? It comes from alchemy because if you take any plant and drown it in water, you know, drown it essentially in water, right? It will yield ethyl alcohol. It yields that spirit. And so the alchemist saw that and said, oh, alcohol, that's the universal spirit of the plant kingdom, you know, in the same way that there's one spirit, one vital spirit that moves through all things. That's the way it shows in the plant kingdom is through alcohol. So from there, you take that wine and distill the alcohol off of the wine. And, and so typically that alcohol is distilled seven times in accordance with the planetary ruler of that plant with the timing of it. So the day and the hour is done. Um, the distillation is done at the day and the hour of the planet that rules that plant. So you're concentrating that celestial influence into the medicine. And that's the general rule for all the processes. So then you have your mercury of the plant is that distilled alcohol. And then from there, the plant material itself is burned to an ash um, in a process called calcination. And then um, it goes through further processing just with water uh, in order to extract the water soluble minerals. And those are then crystallized into what's called the salt of salt or the body of the body, uh, the purified body of the plant is in those alkaline minerals. So they say there's the salt in the minerals, there's the mercury in the alcohol and the sulfur in the oils. And then those are all recombined back together. And that's the reawakening, the agiero part of spagyrics, right? The reawakening, the rebirth, the, the new form of that plant where, you know, the, the only the pure essentials of its soul, spirit, and body are, are combined back together and to very potent extracts, right? I mean, typically a spagyric essence, you know, one to three drops is a more than sufficient dose for them. And they're very, very effective at low doses. And people oftentimes really like notice the effects pretty instantaneously. Um, and that's a really neat attribute of it. You know, it's like, there's a lot of times I take herbs and I'm like, huh, like, I got to really pay attention to feel it. You know, with these, it's like, take it. It's like, whoa, like, there it is. Like, I feel that moving into my brain or like, whoa, like, my, you know, I feel things calming down or not spasming anymore or whatever um, the herb does. Um, so yeah, that's just a little bit of kind of the, the super quick overview of, of uh, the spagyric process. And different spagyrics are prepared by recombining those three principles in different ways. Um, to form either liquid medicines or solid medicines or um, yeah okay well that was my next question regarding that recombination are you and maybe you just started to answer that are you always combining all 
the components, all three, the sulfur, the mercury, and the salt back in, or sometimes you do a little bit of one and a little less of another, depending on how you want it to, how, how you want the medicine to take shape. Yeah. So for the essence, typically they're all three recombined in those ratios, because those are the ratios that were present in the plant growing in nature. Um, so, cause it's all the same plant material taken through yeah. each step of the process, but there are, um, you know, like the pinnacle of the spagyric works is said to be the plant stone. And the stone is, uh, takes a very long time to prepare. Um, typically the way that's done is that the, the, the sulfur and the mercury are very slowly imbibed into the salts. It's pretty incredible how much uh, uh, sulfur and mercury those salts will absorb. Um, and, you know, it, basically you just add little bits of it at the appropriate time and uh, seal the lid and allow it to digest. And once it dries out, um, more is added, sometimes for a period of months. And ultimately, the, those salts will pretty much take as much as they can take and the whole thing kind of cohesively kind of comes together and is rolled up into a, into a ball. And then that is said to be the, the plant stone or the quinta essentia, the quintessence of the plant. It's one form of quintessence. There's another preparation called the quintessence where actually the plant is separated into its fire, air, water, and earth rather than the three principles. Um, but that, that preparation is a little bit more involved. But yeah, so the plant stone is one way that they are recombined slightly differently. And um, oftentimes it will take all of the sulfur of the plant. But from my understanding, um, there's oftentimes some mercury left over, um, some alcohol left over, depending on the herbs. Some herbs yield a lot because they, you know, like berries um, oftentimes tend to yield a lot more mercury just because they have more endogenous sugars that ferment in them. Right. What do you do with that stone? Um, well, there's, there's a number of ways that the stone can be used. Um, <clears throat> I've never done this, but this is what my teacher said, is that the stone is the, it's called the universal. So it's the universal embodiment of that plant that will actually separate the three principles from that same herb. So the way he described it is that if you take, say you have a stone of Melissa and you get a, you have a fresh batch of Melissa, you fill a bucket full of water with the Melissa in there, you dip the stone into that water, the three essentials will rise up to the top of that Melissa, the, the fresh Melissa, and that you can collect it. And there is pretty much your completed spagyric uh, from the fresh plant. I've never done that before. And Robert says, oh, it's always a little scary to dip your plant stone in some water because you, you don't want the damn thing to dissolve because it took you a year to make. <laughs> um, so, it's you like know, I- Leaving a bar of soap in the puddle of water and you come back and it's all gone. Yeah, so um, so that's one way that it's been, I've been taught that it's been used, but I don't have any experience with that. Um, right. I do know that it, it, it can be ingested by simply- uh, dipping it in a small amount of water or traditionally a small amount of wine um, and taken that way or pulling off, they say, a quarter of a grain of rice 
that amount and then that is uh, ingested. So you mentioned, I think, that in the recombination that it depends on whether you want it to be a liquid or a solid. Mm-hmm. Is, is that correct? So how, how do you decide and how do you get the salts, the minerals, back into a liquid form if you mm-hmm. do decide to do a liquid form? Yeah, that's a good question. So, well, so in general, a big theme in spagyrics is the polarity of volatile and fixed. And this is essentially synonymous with yin and yang in in Chinese medicine, right? Fixed qualities, they sink down and in. They tend to be more cold. They tend to be more moist. They tend to be more solid and descending. Volatile is upward and outward. It's more yang. It's explosive. It's dynamic. Um, It's more fiery and airy and expansive and radiant. So these are the ways that volatile and fixed medicines are understood. So liquid medicines are volatile medicines, solid medicines are fixed medicines. Volatile medicines are generally considered better for more acute situations. Fixed medicines are generally considered better for chronic conditions or conditions that are um, deeper in the body. Whereas the uh, volatile medicines will work more superficially or closer to the surface. so let's see. So, I mean, do, how do you determine what you want to, you know, it's just kind of depends on what you're wanting to make, I guess, um, whether you want to make, I mean, generally the volatile medicines are a little faster to prepare. I mean, they still take time and, you know, a single spagyric essence can take, if you're on it, you know, three months, two, three months. Wow. Um, especially if you're attending to the astrological timing, which you know, yeah. is, according to my teacher, essential for the production of a true spagyric medicine. Um, overlooking the astrological dynamics, it's like you, you might as well not do it, is what he says. Um, so, so the salt, yeah, I mean, and that's kind of the interesting thing, right, is here you have the sulfur, the essential oil, and you have the salt, the water soluble salts, right? And we all know water and oil don't mix, right? So there we have the mercury, the alcohol. And mercury is classically, you know, the archetype of mercury is androgynous, right? It's it's the bridge, it's mercury and you know, Hermes. It's the 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 only archetype in the Greek pantheon that could move from Mount Olympus down to the middle world, down into the lower world, right? That's very symbolic of Mercury in alchemy. It's the bridge. It stands in the middle and it unites the above and the below. And so this is, and we see this in herbalism, right? Like where, this is why people use tincture so much because that alcohol, you know, will draw out a good amount of water-soluble constituents, you know, with the exception of some things like polysaccharides or whatever, but it'll also pull out the volatile oils, right? Why is that? Because it's mercury, it's the spirit, it's the bridge, it's right in the middle. So the, 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 <clears throat> the alcohol is the really key part of the spagyric coming together very nicely. Um, okay. Yeah. Oh man, like I said, so many questions. I am going to start bringing us to a conclusion though, but where is the laboratory? Oh, it's just, it's on my property here. Yeah. Okay. We live in the foothills of Mount Baker, Washington. Nice. Okay. And 
what is the brand of your spidgerts? Well, for you have a brand. Yeah, well, it's funny because you know for a long time it's been Organic Unity Spidgerics, and uh, we're actually in the process of rebranding, and we're actually going to be changing the name, which is like whoa, it feels like such a big deal because it's been organic unity for, yeah. you know, 10, 15 years now or whatever. So, but yeah, it's, we're deciding to, my, my wife was kind of joking. She was like, you know, you, you named this before you met me and kind of, a, <laughs> kind of a hippie sounding name. Like, you know, maybe we should name it something a little more alchemical or, you know, something with a little more traditional name. So we're going to be changing the name to Natura Sophia Spagyrics. Um, okay. And uh, like I said, we're in between websites, so there's nowhere to go. So don't Google it and try to find yeah. us online right now. <laughs> um, so there, there was a big bit of a letting go process, I guess, for uh, you then, and letting go of the old. And the yeah, more for me than anyone else. Everyone's yeah. like, cool, you know, and I'm like, yeah, I'm exactly. Like, I really like that name, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember the, the first time the college decided to rebrand with a new logo, and I was like, but what, what? But that's the logo. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. Uh, freshening things up is good, though. Uh, yeah. When do you have a timeline when people can expect to see your new product? Yeah, my goal was uh, January 1st, 2022, but here we are. It's not ready yet. Um, okay. So we actually, part of the process is our labels, and we actually just purchased equipment to print all of our own labels in-house. So... We're getting right. ready to redo all of our labels. So I got to take all new pictures of everything and put it up on the website. So I really have no idea. And, you know, we've got a toddler at home. And so that always makes everything take like way <laughs> 10 times longer. Yeah, at least. <laughs> so we'll see. Hopefully, yeah. you know, for people that follow my work, they'll definitely get a heads up via an email once, uh, once that website's all done and we're ready to take orders again for our spagyrics. Okay, cool. A few more questions, then I'll let you go. I want, you, I want to give you the chance to put in a little plug for the School of Evolutionary, Evolutionary Herbalism. Sure. Where can people go to find out more about it, and what are they going to find there? Yeah, so um, our website's evolutionaryherbalism.com, and um, whatever. We got Facebook and Instagram and YouTube as well. And, um, and we got our podcast, too, called The Plant Path. And um, yeah, pretty much everything on the website, excuse me, we've got a lot of free, <clears throat> free materials there on our blog. We do a lot of videos um, just sharing content with the herbal community for free. We also do more in-depth free workshop series um, going into a lot more depth and detail on specific topics. Like, you know, we've got one going into herbal alchemy We've got one coming up here in February on vitalist herbalism. Um, we've got another one we do in March on astro herbalism. Um, so those are more in-depth workshop series. So, you know, somewhere on the website, there's a place for you to put your name and email in and uh, just get updates for whenever we're producing new content on the podcast or blog. And whenever we're doing one of our more in-depth free workshop series and, um, and also just to announce enrollments for when we're enrolling in a program and things like that. So, but I would say 98% of the emails that we send are always free content. And that's something that we really firmly believe in is making herbal medicine education accessible and available to anyone and everyone that wants it, um, whether they want to pay for a more in-depth course or not. 
So we are really committed to providing, I mean, generally we send out brand new content every week on our blog and YouTube and stuff wow. like that. So, um, so yeah, lots of free resources over there. Beautiful. So that's at evolutionaryherbalism.com. Yep. And are you, different topic, are you taking new clients? Do you see clients? Um, I'm currently not taking new clients. Um, okay. I've had to kind of take a step back from it for a little bit of time. Like I said, we, we had a little kiddo and uh, are in the middle of a pretty major <laughs> house remodel. Our, we got this old farmhouse that, uh, surprise, it was completely falling apart that we couldn't <laughs> tell when we got it. And so, yeah, it's been like a three-year project and it's just been kind of a little bit of a chaotic life over here at home. So I've been kind of trying to learn how to not overextend myself, which I'm really bad at. <laughs> and so, uh, so yeah, anyways, my practice is kind of taken a little pause while I attend to my home and my family a little more closely. And I think once things settle a little bit, I'll probably be picking it up again and um, taking on some more new, new clients. I'm still attending to yeah. previous clients that need help, but yeah. Oh, good for you to notice that. And to make space. Tough for, call to make, man. Because I, I, I say of that. course, <laughs> yeah. How do you prioritize like, the most important things in your life? And yet, sometimes, like for your own survival and sanity, you just have to. Yeah. Yep. Thanks for understanding. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime. Uh, last question. You mentioned a teacher who has influenced you most greatly in your journey with plants. Or you can mention multiple. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 so hard to say because there's so many, really. I mean, of course, I have to tip my hat to Robert Bartlett. We've talked a lot about alchemy today. And, you know, Robert Bartlett is just an amazing teacher, an amazing human, just a really good guy. And um, his teachings really changed my life. You know, I mean, alchemy was the big turning point for my plant path. Um I, I also always have to tip my hat to Matthew Wood. He's been a really great mentor for me over the years. I did a lot of workshops with him, a lot of, you know, long programs with him. Um, you know, he helped with my book. He helped, you know, as a professional editor for my book, which was huge, you know, um, and we just became friends over the years. And he's just been a really, a really good mentor and, supporter for me really encouraged me and helped has helped me a lot become a better herbalist um the you know Stephen Herod Buner really had a pretty huge impact through his books um just with heart perception and learning from the plants themselves and all of that the intelligence of nature just whoa like really really opened my mind up um to understanding how because to me as an herbalist, like I always say, the herbalist is first, foremost, and forever a student of nature. And to me, learning from the plants themselves is really, really important. Um, it's so easy for herbalists to get in, you know, studying and reading books and going to lectures and doing programs and watching YouTube and and it's just like head, 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 head. And it can be really easy to forget like, oh, wait, what's that plant look like? <laughs> you know, and where does it grow? And what's its environment? And just being with the plants and learning directly from them. 
I think is super important. So, you know, Stephen Harry Buehner was huge for that. Pam Montgomery was huge for that for me. Um, Paul Bergner, major, major influence on the clinical side. Um, yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of teachers, you know, that I've learned from over the years and, um, and they've all just been incredible people and guides and mentors. And I wouldn't be where I'm at now and the kind of herbalist I am now without them. Nice. You mentioned a book. I know I said that was my last question, but what's yeah. the book? Yeah, I wrote a book. It's called Evolutionary Herbalism, Science, Medicine, and Spirituality from the Heart of Nature. And I okay. think that, uh, well, I think that came out in, I think I finished it in 18, came out in nice. spring of 19, I think. Um, Good to finish that before the toddler comes along. Yeah, that was, well, that was the thing, right? I was like, got to get it done. Um, and it was a it was a really long project and i mean we had good for you we had to cut what eighty thousand words out of that book wow still like a four or five hundred page book i think so yeah it was a lot i've got we've got a number of books left in me that i gotta write someday so (laughs) where can people get that any major bookseller barnes and noble amazon okay hopefully your local herb store they have it i don't know yeah (laughs) we may even have it at at the Pacific Rim College campus in Victoria. Nice. Not sure, but we may. Fantastic. This has been so great. I would love to sit down with you again and dive more deeply into any one of these topics, any of the hundred that you brought up. You mentioned as far as a website, evolutionaryherbalism.com. Are there any other websites you want to send listeners to? That's the main one. Okay, perfect. Really nice talking with you, Todd. Thanks so much for yeah, inviting me onto the show. It's a real honor to be a part of the Pacific Rim College podcast here. And um, yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you. And as far as you know, do you have anything coming up for Pacific Rim College? Any teaching? Not that I know of. Okay. All right. Well, hopefully we can get you back sometime. I know you've always been a favorite on campus or now maybe online. Yeah, it's been, I've always really enjoyed coming up there and hanging out in Victoria and eating good food and having some city time because I'm a country bumpkin. So it's kind of like, well, go to the big city. And people are like, Victoria's not really a big city, but (laughs) I'm like, well, feels like it to me. Look at all these people. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so good. Well, I really appreciate it. It's been awesome talking with you and I wish you all the best with with your laboratory, your new product launch, well, the new, the branding and, and the products and the new curriculum that you're developing or the revision of it. So much on the go. Hmm. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Pacific Rim College Radio with Sage Popham. To learn more about Sage and the School of Evolutionary Herbalism, visit evolutionaryherbalism.com. If you are interested in studying Western Herbal Medicine, the School of Western Herbal Medicine at Pacific Rim College offers world-renowned programs, including world's only study options combining Western Herbal Medicine with acupuncture and holistic nutrition. Visit pacificrimcollege.com to learn more. Also, don't forget to check out our online education in herbal medicine by exploring the amazing course offerings at pacificrimcollege.online, including many courses featuring other guests of this podcast. Sign up for our newsletter to receive special offers on our newest releases. If you are interested in receiving clinical services in holistic nutrition, herbal medicine, and acupuncture in Chinese medicine, the Student Clinic at PRC provides more than 7,000 annual treatments. 
Live holistic nutrition and herbal medicine consultations are both available online, while acupuncture and Chinese medicine treatments can be had at our Victoria campus. Free treatment options are available in all areas. Visit the student clinic at pacificrimcollege.com for more information and to book your appointment. If you enjoyed this podcast, share it with your friends and family and give it a five-star rating on whatever podcast app you're using. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, don't be afraid to look deep inside to see what might be impeding your journey to health and wellness.